0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Colony Drop. My name is Brian.
1: And my name is Isaac. This is your favorite Gundam podcast where each week we drop another episode where we talk about Gunpla, mobile suits, the lore of Gundam, anime series, everything Gundam related, Brian. Isn't that right?
0: That is right. And it's funny you mentioned lore, Isaac, because what we're talking about today, I think, creates a lot of good additions to the lore you're damn right it does (laughs) so today's topic is something that several people have actually requested us to talk about uh so i really appreciate your suggestions i think it was a great suggestion the topic of today's episode is mobile suit gundam ms igloo so ms igloo is a trilogy of ovas all of which are cg animated and each part of the trilogy is three episodes We're going to be talking about the first part of the trilogy today, which was released in 2004, and it's called The Hidden One-Year War. Isaac, had you heard of MS Igloo before we started this? I had heard about it when it came out. I never really watched it, though,
1: but I'm glad I did. Yeah, I heard of it in hushed whispers, Brian. I was aware of its existence. I'd seen maybe like a handful of screenshots. Other than that, I wasn't too familiar with the story or what exactly was happening, I actually thought off the top of my head, okay, this is going to be, it's going to be a a sentinel, right, or an 8th MS team sort of thing, right, there's, there was a, as usual, leftover parts or a prototype Gundam during the one year war, we never heard about, and it had all this little action adventure on like a corner of the Earth sphere, right. But Great. that's not at all no. <laughs> what MSN Glue ended up being. <laughs> so I was happily surprised that we uh, listened to our listeners, because that's the type of people we are. We listen to our <laughs> listeners. And we actually enjoyed this often forgotten, or totally forgotten, really, Nugget of Gundam. Yeah, I don't really see people talking about this. No.
0: I, I could kind of see why, right? It's like yeah. early 2000s, mid, well, mid-2000s CG, which probably do- hasn't really aged the best
1: looks a heck of a lot better than g Savior CG I'll tell you that much though so. <laughs> I mean yeah <laughs> blows them out of the water <laughs> no argument there I'll watch six hours of this <laughs> <for G-Saver. laughs>
0: yeah that's probably the the thing that holds the show down the most is just maybe that 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 mechanism of delivery hasn't aged super well
1: yeah If you saw a screenshot of this, maybe like you did a search in whatever your streaming services and this was in there along with, you know, a bunch of other Gundam series, you would be forgiven for passing this over because, hey, that looks dated and in a way ugly.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it looks like you're watching a a late PS2
1: game. Yeah, wow, that's great. These are the PS2 cutscenes. Right? I mean, maybe PS3 right right yeah your your older brother or <laughs> uncle walks by and he's like are you playing like the old Resident Evil <laughs> like nah this is a Gundam <laughs> yeah
0: you know but if you can get past that and you know I, I don't particularly care if something has dated animation I mean if, we're, if you're a Gundam fan then, and you like the original Gundam then you know it's got dated animation yeah. is something you're gonna have to deal with dated CG is a little bit different and it just kind of oh, looks yeah. weird Right, there's that sort of uncanny valley yeah. thing happening sometimes.
1: I'd even go so far as to say, to an extent, dated hand-drawn animation, anime cartoons, it can almost come off as charming, even though it's a style mm-hmm. we don't really do anymore. But dated CG sometimes comes off as kind of cringy, or like you you almost point it out, and you're like, wow, you know, we really used to think that was realistic. <laughs>
0: Oh, I 100% agree. I would much prefer dated hand-drawn animation than dated CG. This is more common in in the video game space, I think, right? So, like, Super Nintendo games, to me, have aged way better than, say, Nintendo 64 games or PS1 games.
1: Interesting, yeah.
0: The hand-drawn, more sprite work, it just looks better 30 years later.
1: Bits age better. (laughs) Yeah,
0: If if you go back and play, like, Crash Bandicoot or, you know, Goldeneye, you're like, wow, this is not what I remember it looking like. And it's just because you've been watching things evolve for 20 years. But things can look a little rough. So the, the synopsis on Wiki is the one I like the most. So for The Hidden One Year War, it says, Taking place at roughly the same time as the original Mobile Suit Gundam, MS Igloo follows the exploits of the Principality of Xeon's 603rd Technical Evaluation Unit, a special crew of weapons development researchers, stationed aboard the former civilian cargo ship, the Jotunheim, Named after the land of giants in North myth- Norse mis- in Norse mythology, <coughs> the unit field test various <laughs> <That's all> right
1: <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that Norse. <laughs> Sir, you got to grasp the language of your people. <laughs> your ancestors are just shaking their heads at the clouds in the sky. <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> I got Jotunheim right, I think. Odin's
0: raven. <laughs> <laughs> the, the unit field tests various prototype weapons for combat use under the supervision of Engineer Lieutenant Oliver May. So h- how would you describe this? If you were pitching this to someone, Isaac, high level, what would you say this
1: show is? I'd say, okay, we were already established, you know, the hero side. Let's use a minuscule amount of the budget and the time To just give a slice of a lot of stuff that was happening on the Xeon side. And maybe it is a bizarre story in a way, right? I mean, if you're going to tell the side of Xeon, you'd think maybe, okay, we'll follow, like, you know, the group of uh, Ace pilots or something, or I don't know, a Black Tri Star story or something. But instead, they made this story pretty much from the ground up about uh, an experimental weapons testing team. That's how I would describe it. We're going to tell an interesting, unique story from the point of view of Xeon, and it's going to be very small and bite-sized compared to the One Year War itself and the original Mobile Suit Gundam, but it's going to give an interesting point of view for uh, for fans. I think they'll really appreciate
0: Yeah, and what I liked most about it was that each episode was standalone. That was refreshing, I found.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. It was episodic in a good way, and I don't mean like, oh, of course, there are episodes, Isaac. Duh. I mean like, <laughs> each episode's kind of plot and goal concludes in itself. That's
0: right. I would say high level. It's about the we- experimental weapons testing team, and each episode you get to see them test a new weapon, and you know something goes awry, and you know creates a conflict, and, and it's resolved within that within that same episode. So, for example, episode one. You know, I watched it, and then I, I didn't really know that that was the case. And so in Episode 2, I thought we were going to pick up testing the same weapon. I, had, I first thought they were just going to be testing the weapon from Episode 1. But it turns out, quickly, in Episode 2, I was like, oh, no, we're yeah. going in a different direction here. Um, so I was kind of pleasantly surprised. But um, was one of the episodes your favorite,
1: Isaac? I'm going to say I liked 2 and 3 more than 1. But they're all so unique and interesting. I mean, they all deal with such cool, unique weapons and situations that they're in. You learn a lot more about the Universal... I picked up a lot of stuff about the Universal Century just watching them that really fleshed things out for me even more. As long as I've been watching Gundam, I was like, wow, I didn't really think we'd see something like this. But that's pretty cool, and it's interesting.
0: As far as my favorite, I I thought it was going to be hard to beat Episode 1. And then when Episode 2 came around and it was about something else... I was like, "Ah, I don't know. Episode one was pretty good. And then episode two ended and I was like, wow, that was damn good. (laughs) And then I was like, how are they going to top that in episode three? And and then episode three ended and I was like, all right, that was pretty good too. So I don't know that I really have a a clear favorite.
1: (laughs) You know why you don't have a clear favorite, Brian? Because each of the episodes hit a different part of combat. We had a fleet battle in space. We had a land battle. And then we had mobile suit. Mm Mm-hmm. You're
0: right. And I think that was probably intentional on the production yeah. team.
1: They went down the checklist. They're like, yeah. "All right, everybody gets a <laughs> gets a fun time no matter what you like in Gundam." <laughs>
0: yep. Let's let's dive into the first episode unless you have anything else.
1: No, dive away.
0: All right. The first episode was called The Vanishing Serpent of Loom, which by the way, that's like one of the coolest titles ever. I I love yeah. that already. Uh the first thing that stuck out to me about this episode, Isaac, is it begins super early in the one year war. January 4th, that came on the screen, and I was like, holy cow. (laughs) This is like, you know, early, early days here.
1: Yeah, it's so early. We see Operation British. Essentially, we, we don't even see Operation British when it happens, like when it lands on Earth or not even lands. That's a wrong word. <laughs> when it crashes, obliterates onto the planet. When it makes its soft landing, you mean? <laughs> I think they said it was a few days before it actually gets to Earth, right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, they're basically so,
0: flying, you know, the, yeah. the story kind of opens. We we see our our ship, the, the Jotunheim. We we know, we meet our characters who on the character side, Isaac the Jotunheim has people on it that are, I would call, the main characters, but they're not really... The, the main characters are, are the people who interact with the weapons more so, I, I would say. I, I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I'd actually go a bit further and to say this, this series, to an extent, it got kind of phantom menaced, um, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, okay, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves to an extent. The main character, by a nose Oliver May, (laughs) who's, I forgot his actual rank, but he's kind of the point man in the uh, evaluation team. He's not a very high officer. He kind of takes orders from like the engineering corps, I think. He seems to be technically below the captain of the ship, the Jotunheim, since he has to pretty much do what the captain says to an extent. But he's kind of eyes and ears. He's the one kind of leading the the project and the evaluation for our our special weapon, uh, Jormagund.
0: Yes, although it's probably pronounced Jormungand or something like that, I would imagine. Probably, but
1: we're in the United States, so that J is going to be a J. I'm trying to speak the language <laughs> of my people, as you said earlier. You know what? They would give you a pass for saying it how we do using American English. <laughs> okay, anyways, Jormungand. <laughs> it's
0: also tough, right? Because th- this show is never dubbed, so it's there's no English... Yeah. Vocals out there So it's not like I have reference for how they went and pronounced Jormungand or, or the
1: Jotunheim But Right And, and as, as somebody that's pro-dub You know all the time Let me just say These three episodes were engaging enough And interesting enough that I didn't care I was like, happy to <laughs> you were read just like, the oh, subtitles There's so
0: much Xeon on
1: my screen Yeah I was like oh, yeah, This is so <laughs> good <laughs> oh, Give me more <laughs> Anyways. Yeah.
0: Yes. So, <laughs> episode one. <laughs> so I would say that our main characters that we meet on the Jotunheim in episode one are Oliver May, as you said. Uh, we have the captain, who's Captain Martin Prochnow.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and then we have Lieutenant Commander Monique Cadillac, who you have to get one of them ridiculous Gundam names in there. Yeah. <laughs> and she's it. So not only is her name Monique Cadillac... But she wears a bright red uniform, which looks straight <laughs> out of something that star would be wearing in Char's Counterattack.
1: I put on my notes. She's on the short list of Xeon that we see in a red uniform. Yeah. I, her, Shima, Shar. Mm-hmm. man, what, whatever specific rank that is, or special type of lieutenant you are, you must have a lot of pull in a lot of situations. You know, she
0: also reminds me of, of Cecily from F91. It's not Xeon, but you hmm. know, striking red uniform.
1: Yeah, red hair, too.
0: But yeah, very, I agree. Short list, the red uniform. It definitely stands out. Like, I would say this, the whole series has kind of like a drab color palette,
1: but when she pops on the, on the screen, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she did kind of carry herself that way, too. Right. She seemed... Yeah. When she came on board, she did kind of give a dismissive comment to the captain, right? Like, what did he... Oh, yeah, she told him something like, well, maybe if we had better leadership, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> And the captain just he didn't really address the comment but he clearly didn't like it so maybe it's a case of there are different branches and they're at least kind of equal where one can't really tell the other what to do so she can get away with that comment
0: yeah that's how I took it yeah. so it, it yeah. sounded like he was the captain of the ship but then for this particular mission she was put in charge of sort of the, the weapons testing and that he can't really tell her what to do but she can't really yeah. tell him what to do either so it's kind of just this <laughs> stalemate
1: Brian, I'm so excited. Do we need to talk about like the episode play by play or do we just kind of like jump into what we liked about it?
0: I have like a paragraph about the episode. I mean, it's very short. So do it. Do it. We, we open and uh, the ship kind of the, the Jotunheim is is with some moose eyes and, and like a Papua, I think, which crazy that the yeah. Papua is getting some love here. I mean, go <laughs> listen to our episode on capital ships where, I, where Isaac talks about the Papua.
1: We see it a lot.
0: We do. <laughs> this, is,
1: this is not the only Papua we see in this the series. No, it
0: is not. Our Jotunheim and the Musai escorts get attacked by some uh, Salamises. We figure out very quickly that the Jotunheim is perhaps hiding some sort of secret cargo. And that's when you get the first sense that this team is testing something, Isaac. Mm-hmm. And then, I believe after that battle, that's when we see Operation British, or at least the precursor to Operation British, which is when they see some eyes flying by, escorting Island Ifish, which was the colony that was was taken uh, to go drop on Earth. And that's when you get the first instance where the narrative portrays your protagonist, in this case, Oliver May, as like a good guy, right? Because he's immediately upset, because I think he immediately understands what's happening. He says, this is not right, and he immediately asks, what happened to the 20 million people living inside? I didn't outright say it in this show, but I mean, we all know that those people were were gassed, right? And Cadillac, I think she she starts going on, you know, this this is a, an expected action in war, Um, you know, things are done for emergencies or something like that. But I thought th- I thought that was interesting, the first big lore bomb of the show, I suppose.
1: Oh God, it was so interesting. So, it, that's massively interesting as a point, even as somebody that likes on, because the captain he kind of moved the ship at the last second because he didn't seem fully aware of what was happening either, right? And yeah, I don't think Cadillac was too happy about it either because if you remember, Mace pointing it out to her. He's like, you know, what happened to the people, blah, blah, blah. What are we doing? We're actually dropping a colony. Do you know what that will do to Earth? And then Cadillac kind of like she makes a very upset face and kind of turns away and it's just like I, I think her, her her mental sort of self-defense reason is, well, we have to do a surprise attack. Surprise attacks are normal in war. And then she just kind of had enough of it and wanted to move on. That's why she I think she called him an idiot and through him. Yeah, I agree. She, 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 yeah, she, she was not happy. I, I really don't want to be reminded that I'm committing. A, that I'm part of an organization committing a work, a war crime and atrocity. Let's change the subject.
0: Yeah. She acknowledges that it's not right, but she accepted it. Whereas I don't think Oliver wanted to be a part of it. But then we sort of get into the meat of the episode after that, which is they head into the Battle of Loom. Isaac, presumably, a, yeah. a few days later,
1: less than a week. It, yeah. it,
0: it seemed like it was either the next day or two. And that's when we see him set up the the weapon that we're testing in this episode, which is the Jormungand. And it is a anti-ship cannon. How would you describe this thing, Isaac? It's a giant cannon with space stabilizers that loads anti-ship charge bullets.
1: Yeah, all right. From what I read about this weapon, it's a type of plasma cannon. And it's about the size of a Musai, maybe a bit longer or shorter but obviously big enough that it's a capital ship size. It's really fired by one person, but it seems to have massive ammo. When they're viewing it inside of their actual cargo hole, it looks like about an, a, an average height person could stand within inside the barrel. Yeah. So it's massive, or at least fit inside the barrel, certainly. Uh, maybe like in like a fetal position. But anyways, this is a massive weapon, and it fires plasma at extremely long range, Um, My headcanon for why this was built is that at this stage Xeon was trying to figure out how would you go toe-to-toe with an enemy that outnumbers you and for all intents and purposes has an actual standing fleet, whereas yours is kind of brand new. Um, You build a special weapon that can outrange them so their numbers never really get close and you can kind of pick them off as they uh, try to close the distance. That was... The only logical explanation I thought of why this weapon would actually get the go-ahead.
0: The range is the key thing, right? So right. when they introduce it, they say, look, this ship can blow up a Magellan in one shot, and it can do it outside of the Magellan's range. Yeah. It's basically an anti-ship sniper rifle.
1: Right, exactly. And it's actually based on, uh, you know, not, not to... <laughs> Not to turn into the history nerd again, but it's actually based on a weapon that the Germans used during the Second World War. It was called the, uh, the V3 cannon, which was a cannon so large they had to build it on a hill because it couldn't support its own weight. Wow. And yeah, and a lot like the, uh, the Jormigan, if you look at it, there's canisters along the side of the barrel. And the way the gun works is, you know, with a normal gun, you pull the trigger, you know, the bullet goes off and goes down the barrel. It's losing speed as it keeps going down the barrel. So the logic here was, okay, as it passes all these multiple charges lining the barrel, they'll go off and it'll keep speeding up. Oh, and does it speed up, Isaac? It sure does.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So they, they assemble this thing, right? And I guess what had happened is that the plan was, because Minofsky particles are interfering with everything, they need... Some particular laser targeting data. And they're waiting for the forces who are actually in the Battle of Loom to send them back that targeting data so they can they can know where to <laughs> shoot their shot, right? And the gun the gunnery sergeant is gunnery officer, yeah. I think. Yeah. Alexandro Hem. He's your sort of main character in episode one. He's the, the guy who's really itching to pull that trigger, Isaac. W- before the Battle of Loom starts, your pal Dagwin flies by in the Great Dagwin and says, Hey, wow. We are counting on you. 603rd technical evaluation unit in in the (laughs) Jotunheim make sure you fire that cannon because it's going to win us the war. The crew went nuts (laughs) when they saw that they were
1: like oh my god it's Digwin
0: (laughs) (gasps) I'm so honored (laughs) and then the battle starts and no one's sending them their data Isaac
1: in their defense, every one of those moose sites are busy. <laughs> that's very true. We don't have time to send targeting data to a cannon that's like way past the actual front line.
0: <laughs> that's true. So the crew is like, "Why aren't we getting the data?" Okay, so May and our, our other friend who joined the crew uh, when when Cadillac came on board was Washia. They they take off in this small little shuttle to kind of just go get the data themselves, right? They wanna they wanna fire this gun. They wanna contribute to the battle, but before they can get to the battle, Isaac, who are they confronted by
1: they get a unexpected flyby by mobile suits which have never been seen before in combat and stopping in front of their little shuttle their little scout shuttle is none other than a red zaku and it's Sharaznable. and he communicates to them using only morse code i don't know why but like, <laughs> yeah why, why
0: didn't he just use his radio like hey guys yeah. it's cool we got it let's just go
1: back <laughs> He decided to be dramatic, and like he uses his uh, his monowire to like Morse code them a message that like it'll be okay, and this is this time for the mobile suits to go out, and you know, your services are no longer needed or something. Yep. But
0: you know what? The gunnery sergeant was like, "Hell with that! I'm firing." So he fires the shot, and he misses. I mean, it's pretty far. Yeah, and he, he's going by eyesight, and it's, his little targeting thing looked like it was very unstable.
1: In his defense, though, like I guess a credit to the Jormungan itself, the blast, even though he missed, it, it generated enough force, I guess, that it moved the Solomus. That it, it did, missed.
0: it did. It like it like pushed it back, and it like it like uh, twirled around, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty nuts.
1: Yeah, man, the Solomus is in this series. Like if you remember the the opening battle. The, those things can turn on a dime. <laughs> yeah, they seem super agile <laughs> I here. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was like, it, it moves like a fighter. <laughs> I don't think
0: we've seen him look like that in other series, is maybe why it looked a little weird. But
1: That was a custom Salamis we had a story <laughs> on. That was the, the the captain of the Quick Beam or something like that <laughs> Gundam Quicksilver.
0: <laughs> so he fires once, misses. He fires twice, misses again. And then one of the Magellan, is it a Magellan? I think it's a Magellan that breaks through.
1: Yeah, I don't i was trying to th- What was the thinking of that Magellan captain? I mean, number he, one, He's a Magellan yeah. So we know he's Not your run-of-the-mill captain, right? He'd right. probably pretty high up If they gave him Magellan Yeah Number two He broke with the fleet I know he's damaged But is this kind of like a suicide attack?
0: Uh, that's how I took it I thought he was kind of like Well, I'm, you know, I'm damaged I, I broke the line I'm running away I might as well Go shoot this guy over here
1: yeah. So he attack he attacks the weapon that has not destroyed a single missile.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mean, I guess if you're the Federation, right, you see that fire and you're like, "Oh crap, what is that? I better, someone better go get that." Right. Right. Yeah. Maybe that was the logic here of someone Maybe. better go destroy that cannon before it does start killing people. So the Magellan breaks through and then and then Jotunheim gets hit. He gets you know a decent hit on it, and our gunnery officer, him, you know, he, he gets pretty wounded, pretty seriously. But damn it, Isaac, he is determined to shoot down this Magellan. And it gets closer and closer. And, you know, the whole time this guy he he he's basically uh he's lamenting that sort of gunnery skills are going out of out of fashion in favor of mobile suits. Because at this point, the Jotunheim realizes that they weren't actually being relied upon on Degwin, and that was all just lip service because the real plan was to use the Zakus. Which, to be fair to Degwin, the Zakus are working out great. In the Battle of Loom, right?
1: Yeah, that was so nice of Dagwin. Like he's like, <laughs> uh, he's like, uh, "Your Highness, if you'll notice, on the port side, there is a test weapon, a new cannon we're developing. Uh, can we have permission to send them like a message? That we're counting on them. <laughs> sure, whatever.
0: Just we need a pep talk. Just you know, yeah. give them some motivation,
1: sir. <laughs> whatever. Maybe it'll work out. I don't know. Tell them we're all counting on them. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't do it without you guys.
0: <laughs> yeah. So at this point, the the captain. Proc now, he is prioritizing the safety of the crew, right? And they're, Jotunheim's gonna get out of there, but that gunnery sergeant, damn it, Isaac, he's gonna get his third shot in, and he fires that thing, and what happens to that Magellan?
1: It goes through it like a hot knife through butter. I've never seen a weapon do this before in Gundam. It like inflates the Magellan in like a half second, warps all the metal, it makes it kind of like magma y, and then the Magellan explodes.
0: Yeah, the only word I can describe this with is just pure annihilation Yeah, the people in the Magellan were alive one second and then go <laughs> and then just superheated <laughs> and uh, ballooned the next second yeah it was glorious it was it was pretty amazing and then of course uh, Alexandro hem succumbs to his injuries and dies but by doing so he you know prevented the destruction uh, of the the Jormungand give that man a medal he deserves it and so Oliver then writes his first report of the series after this is over, and basically just says that the power of the cannon was outstanding, uh, but it has not been seen on the battlefield since, which is very sad.
1: Yeah, I mean, it can't work. Like I'm, I'm trying to think of what the engineering team was thinking, or maybe this gun was in development before Manovsky Particles, but a weapon where you need advanced spotters to shoot, it's kind of... I don't know. That doesn't really work in fleet combat, I think.
0: I think it could work for special operations. Probably yeah. the battle loom, maybe not the, the best. No. One thing I did notice, I looked on the wiki, and there there is a manga adaptation of W83 of called W83 Rebellion. And apparently, uh, either the same Jormungand or a new one called the Jormungand Kai comes back and it's used by the Delaz fleet... To destroy the control ship of the Solar System Two, and that was not shown in the anime.
1: That's not what happens. No, in well, the anime. yeah, in the anime,
0: I mean, mm. Ganto blows it up, but yeah. But anyway, I mean, that's pretty cool. Interesting. I, I would yeah. have liked to seen it again.
1: Yeah, I actually would have liked to see that in the anime. That would be pretty cool.
0: If you think about timeline, though, the Yarman was made in 2004, and Double Eighty Three was made in what 1995 three That's something true. early, so can't really do that I, I wonder when the manga adaptation was made if it was made after ms igloo then that makes sense huh. um but anyway i love those i love those inclusions of the lore i would like to see the yormungan pop up somewhere else in the one-year war because this was very early on right so it must have sat somewhere in some warehouse so someone should bring it back in some series
1: hopefully they do yeah
0: i liked it so what do you think of the yormungan in general isaac
1: I thought it was pretty cool. I had a feeling it wouldn't do a ton, if any, damage just because we never hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I would be very interested in uh, maybe adapting part of it, or at least it's uh, paying an homage to it in some way for my, my plan to build it a, like a, a Gelgoog super sniper.
0: Oh, that would be awesome. The, the Gelgoog
1: Jormungand. The Jormagoog. <laughs> <laughs> They're sending out the drama, Goog. I guess they're going to pick us off one by one. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get in front of the gun. That's my advice. That's pretty hard to do. He's like (laughs) really far away.
0: (laughs) Anything further on episode one, Isaac, or should we proceed?
1: No, it was pretty great. Yeah, as someone that went into it blind, I thought it was pretty interesting. I'll also say that um, I think in this episode... Do you remember the captain made a comment that, like, uh, Cadillac looks like a Yorkshire Terrier? <laughs> he, he did. That, I do that. his mom that. used to have or something like that? He was... Yeah, he did not like Cadillac. Or at least he was very dismissive. Was that, like, a polite way of saying to, like, everyone on the bridge that she's literally, like, a bitch?
0: <laughs> I, I took it as either that or maybe that he was saying that she was, like, not... Like, not from combat. Like, not of combat. Oh. You know, like... She's just...
1: Yeah, she's a yipping dog. Right. She just runs around a little purse dog. Right. Why Try, is she on my bridge? Trying to yell <laughs> above her weight, maybe. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, to his credit, he didn't say it to her face or anything <laughs> like that. So he's like, "Yeah, you know what? I'll let you make your own bed." <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I liked I liked yes. the captain.
0: I thought he was a good a good character.
1: Yeah, he's, he comes off as pretty reserved, but, you know, it, not really blood hungry or Anything like bloodthirsty, I mean. Blood hungry. <laughs> bloodthirsty. <laughs> yeah. Blood hungry is when we're on the King Space Pig and we have blood sausage. Um, but yeah, episode one, walked into it blind, extremely happy. Really interesting. Can't recommend it enough. Yeah.
0: So then I thought, okay, episode two, let's go. Let's find out what happens to the Jormungand. I thought we were going to deploy it somewhere else. But no, <laughs> Isaac. Instead, we jumped, we jumped to episode two, which is called The Howl That Died the Setting Sun. And it is now April, so it's four months in the future. And now we're in Arizona, uh, which is very close to you and I.
1: That was interesting. I thought I was like, wow. We never almost, I mean, aside from the California base, they don't really get too specific with North American locations a lot. Yeah. You know, in Gundam. But yeah. Yeah, Arizona.
0: Arizona. We open with Zaku's approaching a Zeon soldier, and they ask that soldier for some ammo, and then they aim at him, Isaac. And I was like, uh-oh, those aren't normal Zeon Zaku's. I think those are some Federation-controlled Zaku's.
1: I thought at first, like, I was like, okay, pirates? (laughs) I was like, that doesn't make sense. Let's keep watching and wait for a logical explanation.
0: (laughs) I like how you assumed that you went straight to pirates and not Federation soldiers taking over
1: (laughs) Zaku. It's like, you you felt the Federation soldiers were so inept that that couldn't be a possibility. (laughs) No, I felt Gideon pilots would be so brave they would rather destroy their mobile suits than let them be captured.
0: (laughs) So immediately after that, we start seeing that our crew on the Jotunheim is dropping supplies from space that will then land on Earth to, to supply the Zeon soldiers. And I like that. I thought that was great because we've never actually seen how Zeon gets their supplies on Earth.
1: Yeah, it was a pretty big mass drop. It was like a, a parade of Papua's. <laughs> <laughs> and the Jotunheim, the, the poor Jotunheim, it has to do like, a <laughs> it has to like point its nose up. To drop its car. <laughs> I mean, I'm not an astrophysicist or an aerospace engineer, but can't they just push them out the back and then gravity will do the work? <laughs> Maybe the captain wants to have some fun. I don't
0: yeah, doing <laughs> doing some barrel rolls or something. Yeah. So we quickly learned that their new mission in this episode is to test the mobile tank called the Hadolfer. It sounded like that. This tank was was tested at some point in the past, and it, and it didn't meet you know whatever standards, and so they didn't sort of mass produce it. But now the war is going not so well, so they don't really have time to test new things. So they're just kind of deploying everything they possibly can.
1: A common pattern.
0: Yeah, <laughs> maybe a maybe a precursor of things to come later. Certainly. Also,
1: when you saw the tank, Brian, what did you think?
0: So when I saw the tank, initially. Uh, I was very underwhelmed. I thought to myself, "This is a, looks like a normal tank. What is this gonna do?"
1: <laughs> what did you think? I thought to myself, "All right, this engineering core, engineering department evaluation team, whatever. Him and the guy that he, you know, the guy in the monocle that uh, that that Oliver May always reports to in his little office. Apparently, when they say engineering, all they mean is cannons, because <laughs> that is the only thing this this group produces." <laughs> Just big cannons. This is the cannon department in the Xeon military.
0: Although you've reached the cannon department. Please state your, your inquiry.
1: All right, team. Our space cannon didn't work out. But we're putting in charge of a new project. Our Earth cannon. <laughs> yes.
0: However, we will soon learn, Isaac, that maybe there is more than meets the eye to this tank.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's pretty massive, and it looked like just a big gun on an even bigger tank. But... um had some interesting features
0: yeah so we have this guy on board his name is sonnen who turns out to be friends potentially romantically involved with cadillac in the past were we supposed to
1: take that away from that i'm not sure Uh, they they had a look so i I wasn't too sure about that if it was more love at first sight or if it was like oh you're here yeah (laughs) or something like
0: that so this guy sonnen is here to test the tank and so, of course, things don't go well in the drop and they have to, at some point where they were like, ah, you, you need to go down in the tank.
1: Well, it was the HLV, remember no, I'm sorry, it was their um, the landing capsule from the Musai that they were in. They were trying to get down and they get to the actual spot in Arizona that the uh, the Fettis and the Zaku's have taken. Yeah. And as they get closer, I think they start getting shot at. So they're kind of dodging around and stuff and... Sonnen pretty much says look open the cargo bay and dump me out the back that's right you know you'll be able to maneuver better anyways and we'll actually have a weapon on the ground
0: and then at this point Isaac I was still underwhelmed by this tank I'm thinking to myself what is this dude going to do in this tank but (laughs) to my surprise this turned out to be one of the best choreographed fight scenes that we've seen holy shit it it was great (laughs) (laughs) Sonnen just tears these people apart so first he goes into, like, <laughs> what I would call siege tank mode. If you guys have ever played StarCraft, you know what that is.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: so he, he plants himself in the ground with these, like, uh, hooks or whatever. And he, and he targets two Zakus right away because he knows as soon as he fires once, he's going to get spotted. And if, I'm just expecting, like, a little tank round here. But no, this dude fires, and it just rips that one Zaku apart. Like, it just falls apart like it was, uh, like, if it was just made of Legos and all the Legos exploded.
1: Yeah, like, you put, like, I don't know, a firework on your action figure, and you blew it to (laughs) pieces. Yeah, this Zaku just, and I was like, oh, oh, this guy's, this tank's pretty good. Sonin's not fighting, like, you know, a group of three Zakus. There's, like... No, there were six of them. Six Zakus. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So this dude's (laughs) taking on six Zakus (laughs) with a tank. Okay? So first of all, this guy's got balls of steel. So he blows the first Zaku away. Now he knows that he's immediately going to get targeted, so the second Zaku he had targeted... Starts moving around, so he's like, "All right, I'm gonna confuse this guy with a napalm round." So he fires napalm on the Zaku, and uh, just like he thought, the, the the Fed guy was like, "Oh God, I'm getting burned!" And then while the guys, while the the Zaku's getting burned and distracted, he just flat out fires a real round and just blows that guy away too. So he's already taken out two Zaku's within like I don't know, 30 seconds, Isaac. Yeah. Now the Fed Zaku team, you you gotta be you know pissing your pants, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, this tank... Okay, not only does this thing have, like, a cannon, but it also moves pretty damn fast for its size. It is incredibly fast. It is a fast tank. It's like this massive, fast tank. Like, you know, you see those bulldozers sometimes at construction zones, right? Sometimes you see them on, like, the the actual streets moving around. Imagine if one of those was going, like, 90 (laughs) miles per hour. (laughs) This dude is hauling ass in the desert
0: over these hills. He's got these massive treads. Not slowing him down whatsoever.
1: It's a kill dozer. <laughs>
0: it, yeah. So now I'm now I'm like sitting up in my chair. I'm like, oh man, this this dudes gonna he's gonna kill all the all the Zaku's. So he unfortunately gets hit. one of his tank tread gets hit. I think Isaac, so he has to slow down a little bit, and he gets he gets stopped. And now I'm like, oh, this dude's screwed. I mean, now the Zaku's are just gonna swarm him. But this tank has so many tricks up its sleeve. He launches a smoke screen, and the fool is Zaku's. They run into the smoke screen like, oh, let's go get him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, and then he unveils
1: the secret. It's not just a yeah. tank. What is it, Isaac? Nope. It's a mobile tank. <laughs> kind of th- this hidden part of it rises up, and there's like a half torso of a mobile suit sitting in the tank. Yep. It doesn't look like a Zaku tank. I don't know. It looks pretty sinister. It had like this cool kind of dolphin-shaped nose, kind of round like a whale. It's got the mono eye, the visor, the mono eye. It's got an arm. And uh, a machine gun on the other side.
0: Yeah, this dude comes up with his own machine gun in his in his mobile tank hand. So now he's got the cannon and his own machine gun. It just blows that Zaku away with his machine gun, <laughs> and then he takes that Zaku's machine gun.
1: Yeah. Well, he ran out of ammo, I think, right? So he needed he needed a new gun. <laughs>
0: yeah. He's like, oh, I'll just I'll just take theirs. And then after that, uh, I think one of the, the other Zaku starts running at him. So then he rams that Zaku, right? Because he can still kind of go. And then he does a yeah. wheelie, right? And then he, I think he like hits him. He hits him with the wheelie somehow.
1: <laughs> he got his treads on top of, like, a Zaku arm. And I think they were in a position such that he couldn't move. So he wisely rotated his cannon to one side of the tank and then fired it so that that side of the tank would lift off the ground. Oh, that's right, yeah. And then he, he hit the gas so that he'd be moving forward on one tank tread while the other treads lifted up.
0: Man, what a badass.
1: Yeah, I mean... My God, this man's a prodigy. Yeah. Do they? I don't think they train their tank crews to do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, he is. He is from like the tank team, right? I mean, I, I guess they have a tank team somewhere.
1: I mean, the the Magella team, right? Yeah. I guess he—that's where they pulled him from.
0: Yeah, takes out the rest of the Zaku's except for one, uh, which is like the leader Federation guy, and. So that guy kind of gets the better of him. You know, at this point, this, this dude has, has pulled his weight with his one tank, right? He's destroyed five Zaku's, there's one left. He's, his treads are damaged, you know, he's kind of running low on ammo probably. And the final Zaku kind of sneaks up and they get into like a punching match. And the, so Sanan uses the, the I'll call him the siege shovels that, that he used to brace himself in the ground earlier. So he's punching Zaku with the siege shovels, uh, but then the Zaku sticks its little machine gun right into the mono-eye and fires. And you know the the Hadolfer kind of goes dead, right? Because it, it essentially took a bullet to the to the face, and so then you're you're pretty disappointed because you're like, oh well, Sanen he's probably dead, and the, and then Zaku turns its attention to the uh Kamusai. What was your emotional state at this point, Isaac, w- with the Hadolfer having taken a, a hit directly to the face?
1: I felt terrible. I felt like, oh god, this is how this guy takes taken out. Man, that was such a brutal kill, but also pretty brilliant on the Zaku pilot, the uh, the Federation pilot to do that. The advisor can only lead one place.
0: Yeah, all the important systems. So it was a good move on his part. Yeah. But then as the Zaku is, is you know, making his way to the to, to the Komasai, I wrote down that he implodes from behind. <laughs> as Sonnen fires, you know, a last a last shot and just hits that Zaku center mass. And similar to the Magellan in the previous episode, this Zaku just is the obliterated. <laughs> Hot damn, Isaac.
1: Yeah, it left me speechless. I didn't see that coming. I thought he was gone. And it was pretty sad when we did see in the inside of the cockpit that he's not hes not doing okay, Brian.
0: Yeah, similar to our gunnery officer in episode one. You know, Mr. Son in here, he, he's not going to make it. So he, he definitely took some mortal wounds from that Zaku shot into the mono-eye. But he did save the day. All the stolen Zakus had been neutralized at this point. Six Zakus taken out with one mobile tank. This thing makes the, the gun tank look like an embarrassment. <laughs> where, where were more of yeah, these? Yeah, and that I has think- two cannons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> this brought like so much more to the lore in a way because we've always thought to ourselves, okay, the Federation made their own mobile suit, right? They made the Gundam. Well, they had to have stolen Zakus to at least get an idea of... What to do, right? So, right,
0: and this was taking place in April, which is super early. Like, Gundam doesn't show up until September, I believe.
1: If the Federation's at the point where they can capture Zakus and use some of them in combat, it means they stole a Zaku pretty early on. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, and also that we didn't really get closure or too many details about whatever relationship he had with Cadillac. You know, it was something private, she knew about it. She didn't really weep too much when he was gone. And, you know, his final thoughts, I don't think, were of her. He was more interested in his mints. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) His his mints, in quotes. they must be really good. I mean, when you you get good mints, you get good mints. (laughs) What
0: kind of brand do you think they were? Do you think they were Zoloft? Or uh, do you think Uh, they were...
1: (laughs) I mean, you look at the container. These were clearly Xeonic Tic Tacs. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by Tic Tacs. (laughs) Our unofficial sponsor that yeah. had not consented to being sponsored. <laughs> not TikTok, Tic Tacs. Yeah. <laughs> that's for all you kids. <laughs> you have bad breath, you need a tick-tack. uh Speaking of Tic and mints, Sonnen had some kind of problem that they also really didn't address, right? I don't know if that was something neurological or he had a condition or um, if it was nerves, right? I mean, we see him in the hangar bay when we first meet him and... He tries his best to kind of shrug it off, but May really notices that something's wrong.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've seen that in a few different Gundam series. You know, and we just recently watched Seed, and Rao had the same problem, right? Where he needed those pills immediately. <laughs> what are they putting these mints? I don't know. These, these gun- <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're they're not called Xeonic mints in uh, the Cosmic area. They're they're called <laughs> ZafT mints or something. But uh, I also didn't didn't Guineas have a similar problem in du- in Eighth uh, MS team where he needed some pills?
1: Oh, wow. Oh, man. Yeah, Ph- pharmaceuticals and mints
0: <laughs> in Gundam. Stay away from them. Yeah, people, <laughs> just like the real world, the build oh, yeah. pill problems in the universal century.
1: You got to stick to your essential oils like they're doing <laughs> the Federation.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know what it was. I couldn't tell if it was neurological or whether it was, um, you know, something with his heart. We'll never know. We'll never know because it doesn't matter. I mean, he's dead yeah. now. But, but man, he went out a blaze of glory. That was that was a, an amazing episode.
1: <laughs> I like how Sonin knew he was going into desert combat. Well, I mean, of course he knew. So he put on, like, a desert uniform, if you noticed. Oh, yeah, and I did not
0: notice. He put on a desert <laughs> he's, uniform? He's the
1: only person in, like, khaki and, like, oh. the whole shit.
0: <laughs> and the, yeah.
1: Good for him. He's got to be comfortable.
0: I have not looked up the Hadolpher anymore. I don't know if there's any more out there,
1: but I would love to see that come back in, in some other show. I mean, why not, right? Like, There's got to be more. Actually, <laughs> I mean, there's a certain point, though, where tank treads, like, y- you just don't see them anymore. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, it was cool to see the uh, Zakus use their leg missiles, huh? <laughs> it was, yeah.
0: Or just just the fact that they were, like, looking for
1: ammo was cool, I thought. Yeah, normally a lot of the times in combat it seems like everybody's gotten limited ammo, but... Yeah. You know, Sonnen actually needing to find a gun was pretty cool.
0: And I also liked that he was able to use their gun. That that was, where did we see that? Was that in 8th MS team where we figured out that the guns were kind of interchangeable? They like clip into the hands.
1: Yeah. I Yeah. I like that.
0: Uh, But yeah, I really like the Hadolfer. Didn't think it was much at first, but once it went into mobile tank mode, man, that thing was a beast. And I, I like it. We need
1: more of that. Yeah, God, the speed on that thing—that was the kind of the unsung strongest advantage it had. Yeah, you know, because those stupid zaku's were all running around on foot. Mm-hmm. I don't really think they boosted too much, but um, no, maybe they didn't have any yeah.
0: propellant left. I mean, if you—I yeah. guess if you capture a zaku, you're kind of stuck with what you have, right? I mean, you can't go back to the base to get more.
1: Yeah, I mean, even if the Federation had a more of an understanding of the zaku's that they're able to send them out to fight, or at least be, you know, a secret weapon in this mission they don't necessarily have the right fuel maybe for whatever the zaku's used to propel.
0: Yeah, I mean they could conjure it up I'm sure, but not, it's not going to be available at at all federation bases, right? Uh, you know.
1: Maybe they were hoping that like that little outpost, that little <laughs> supply depot like they actually had fuel too. Right. <laughs> yeah. They really needed ammo cuz they didn't have ammo, but they also <laughs> wanted fuel. <laughs> could you just Give us everything. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you guys have fuel too? <laughs> so you don't have fuel or ammo? This is pretty suspicious. <laughs> uh, anything else on episode two, Isaac? It was great. I never thought I'd enjoy a Zaku versus tank battle so much, but this is maybe the only Zaku versus tank battle that's happened where the tanks win. Uh, overwhelmingly
0: won. Yeah. Pretty crazy. It was awesome. I love it. Uh, episode 3 is called Dance of the Orbital Ghosts which man they they're hitting out of the park on these titles
1: here. Yeah, Igloo team, wherever you are. Awesome work. Why are you not writing the next show? Yeah, do more
0: side stories, <laughs> please. So this one opens up with yeah, we got some more papuas, Isaac, more papuas. Yeah, there they go. <laughs> they're getting attacked by some balls painted with oh, fearsome <laughs> color schemes.
1: Yeah, these are like the uh <laughs> Were these balls like bullies when they were younger or something? It was like they're really aggressive.
0: <laughs> yeah, they have these. Or they're painting what? Like shark teeth, basically?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have like the. the you know, everybody, all the listeners know that nose art, right? From like World War II, where they put like the, the shark in the eyes and yeah. the shark mouth on the, on the front of like a plane. It's on the balls. <laughs> yeah. A new mobile suit shows up to fend off the balls, Isaac, which is called
0: the Zuda. Yeah And we soon get a propaganda film That Zeon made that says You know what, we're doing so well with the Zakus And guess what, we got something better than the Zaku coming it's, it's the Zuda It's, you know, it's faster and stronger So the Federation is doomed And that's maybe not entirely accurate
1: No, I think at this point, right I think the characters, are, or the captain and some characters Are discussing that the, the cracks are starting to appear, right In the yes. story Yes. So it's it's becoming clear that the situation on Earth is not as good as has been told, and they know Federation forces are heading towards Odessa, and it's it's not looking like the fighting on Earth overall is going well. Right.
0: And along with that not going well on on Earth, the engineering director says, "Hey, Oliver, you know those old Zudas they disintegrated during test flights," and Oliver. Looking at this last battle where the Zuda's fended off the balls, he's like, "Ah, the new ones are fine, boss. You know, they held together. They're great. Uh, I think it's, I think it's good. The is good." So then, yeah. immediately, they do another test flight, and one of the Zudas goes
1: too fast, and it disintegrates, <laughs> killing the pilot. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I think Cadillac, or um, maybe it was the new character, Commander uh, Duvall, who says that, um, you know, <laughs> this wouldn't have happened if he followed orders and slowed down. <laughs> and he's right. He's right, by yeah. the way. We told him to slow down. And he didn't
0: do it. Uh, yeah, so the new team is led by Jean-Luc Duvall, which is a great name. Uh, and he's a pilot for ZAMAD. And I know, Isaac, you're a big fan of uh, the Xeonic the mobile suit development rivalries. Here we don't often hear from Zimond in in like a main animated work.
1: No, we don't. Zimond was a rival company against Zeonic. Zeonic put out the Zaku. Zimond put out mobile armors throughout the uh, the one year war, if I'm remembering correctly. And the Zuda is kind of their their early attempt at a mobile suit to rival the Zaku, but it didn't perform good enough. That's why Zeon went through. And uh, mass-produced the Zaku.
0: Yeah, and the main reason it didn't perform well enough is because it disintegrated when you go a certain <laughs> speed. <laughs> that might be a problem. It could be. It could be. It's a little, little dangerous. It seems like the Zuda, though, perhaps is faster than the Zaku on average. It's just you can't push it to that, that upper limit. Maybe.
1: Maybe. And according to May Brian, it's pretty much a new mobile suit. We gave it a new number. <laughs> the numbers all look good. The data won't lie. (laughs) What could be wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Will the data not lie? So then our friend Oliver
0: goes... He goes and checks the data from this test flight. And he goes and he confronts uh, Mr. Jean-Luc Duval. And he says, hey, you know, I was looking at the data here. And it looks like this Zuda, which is now named the EMS-10, disintegrated at the same acceleration curve and limit point, I believe is what he calls it, as the old EMS-04, the old Zuda. And he goes, so are you sure mr duval that this is actually a new mobile suit you just didn't give it a new number and maybe paint it and then duval they get interrupted he he clearly hits a nerve here because duval is about to like punch him right or something or he's like choking him
1: yeah oh man he he got crazy eyes he he could not believe that he was being told this
0: (laughs) was it just me too or was like the old cg like making the crazy eyes worse I
1: mean, w- worse and better at the yeah, same yeah, time. Yeah. Like, Matt, he's going to kill this guy in like three seconds. Yeah, and Oliver May poor was. Gonna, Oliver. Yeah, he was going to. I thought he was going to throw him over the edge. I'm glad that the animation paid a lot of attention to, you know, differences between people. It seems a lot of the times in animated series, almost everybody's like average height, right? Mm, yeah. But when Duvall meets May, it's very clear that he's a big guy and May's not. Right. So, yeah, May. May had a look of terror in his face. <laughs> yeah, he was—he was, he was of- about to be thrown over the railing, which is like fifty yeah. feet in the air. <laughs> he had the fear of God. Duval will do anything to protect the Zuda. <laughs> right. So, but by that
0: happening, we we now know that that basically Zeman is lying, and that the the new Zuda is is basically the same as the old Zuda. I mean, maybe they tried to fix it, but clearly, whatever they did didn't work.
1: <laughs> they not only. <laughs> Not only that, Brian, but um, is this when the Federation releases their rebuttal propaganda video?
0: <laughs> That's right. So immediately after this, so so Duvall gets upset, <laughs> but they are interrupted by a, a counter propaganda video from the Federation,
1: specifically from London. It was uh, Earth Federation Space Forces London.
0: Yeah, and they they are apparently are also already aware that the New Zuda is a farce, and they basically say, Ah, you guys are joking, and oh, and by the way, we're gonna we're gonna take over Odessa. <laughs> So oh, no, they it. said we
1: want Odessa. Oh, did they? Did they already say that? I yeah. don't remember. They showed the map and then like all the Federation troops moving into oh, Zealand yeah. territory. Cute little like graphic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, that information was not made aware to the rest of the crew of the Jotunheim. Right. And they were quite shocked, but the captain laid it to them, laid out the facts and said... Yeah, <laughs> I think we lost.
0: <laughs> I think it's not going well. And yeah. I thought it was interesting in how the Z- how Zeon gave orders, right? They didn't say... Yeah. Zion didn't say, hey, uh, everybody, Odessa's been taken, go help him. They just said, hey, if you're in this range, we need you to head here. <laughs> it didn't yeah. say why, but the captain was like, well, clearly we lost, and we need to go rescue the people, so let's go.
1: I mean... <sighs> Well, before I end, before I address that, let's go. my favorite part of the Federation video, though Brian, was when they had like the little Chibi, <laughs> the Chibi Zuda and Zaku. Oh you yeah, that? yeah, I do. <laughs> the, the, apparently,
0: <laughs> propaganda videos <laughs> in in the Universal Century are like very distinctly Japanese because they love Chibi yeah. mobile suits.
1: It's like it's like a little meme war between someone you don't like. Yeah. Like yeah. you guys are just texting each other back and forth. <laughs> how much? You, how much? One of you is an idiot. <laughs> I like how they showed the, the Zudo walking away, and then like the Zaku was like laughing.
0: <laughs> yep, yeah, it's it's like a Twitter feud, essentially.
1: Exactly, but um, man, I I've always thought to myself, all right, we we got glimpses of Xeon evacuating from uh, after Odessa, right? Everybody mm-hmm. leaving from the California base, and a little bit of an Eighth MS team. But this shows what a shitstorm it was, right? Yeah. How craptacular of an operation it was. They just left them in space. Everyone's in an, L- an HLV capsule sitting in space. They didn't even have fleets waiting, uh, ready and waiting for them.
0: They did not. It was a pretty precarious situation. And there, so there's just hundreds of these escape pods just floating there. Yeah. And so the Jotunheim heads in to rescue them. And, I, you know, I don't even really know what what is the Jotunheim going to do if they can't take them all back i mean they
1: could take like a few better to save a few than, than, than none, none i suppose yeah and times of the essence too because what was that ship line or was that a zanzibar brian uh, it was a was Zanzibar. Like, yeah mm-hmm. okay the zanzibar one of the few ships that can leave earth orbit on its own yeah uh, who knows how it got damaged but it <laughs> Lost steering or something, and it hit one HLV, and then it started like a a chain reaction. HLVs are pretty much pinballs, apparently, (laughs) and they just started bouncing off each other, destroying each other. It was ridiculous. It's mass chaos.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's like the nightmare scenario for space in general. Like like this this played out a little bit in the in the film Gravity. You know, if anyone's seen that. Oh yeah. But basically, we you know Earth just in the real world, we have all these satellites up there, and it's very important you don't crash your satellite into another satellite because if you do both satellites are traveling so fast that they you know they will explode into very many small pieces that we can then not track very well but then all of those pieces are also moving very fast and they will take out other satellites and so there's this nightmare scenario which there's a name for it I think but I think it was it may have been part of gravity it may have yeah. been another film no it was it was gravity yeah if, if too many blow up then Basically, all of them will be taken out eventually because there's just too much debris that you can't you can't control, uh, and you just yeah. kind of have to wait a long time for it, it to kind of coalesce and then go go pick it up, I yeah. suppose. But
1: decades or longer, yeah.
0: yeah. But instead of satellites here, you you almost have that situation with this with the Xeon escape pods and Zanzibar, because I I thought that's where this was going. I was like I I thought all those things were going to basically get blown up by debris because he, he crashes into a few pods and then a few of those blow up and I was like, oh man yeah. this is going to be
1: a big chain reaction here. And then Brian, things went from bad to worse because who shows up at this this <laughs> these fish in a barrel <laughs> the, uh, the the custom shark balls, of course <laughs> <laughs> yes, the federation comes out of nowhere like the vultures they are they swoop down on the wounded animals that are the uh, the unarmed well not unarmed but the relatively defenseless Xeon HLVs. Um, a couple of Zaku's pop out of their little HLVs, but they're ground types, yeah. so they're they're essentially sitting ducks. You know, this was a war crime on its own. <laughs> <laughs> Federation's making war crimes left and right, all right? Yeah. First, they broke the Geneva Convention and were wearing the... Uh, they were piloting Zakus, right? Yeah. Completely disregarding the need to identify themselves in combat. <laughs> and then now, they're attacking unarmed retreating troops. Yeah. It's, it's, it's terrible, It's Brian. insidious. It's terrible. But the Jotunheim is here,
0: and they launched the zoodas Isaac, because they, they got no other choice. I mean, yeah, maybe it's got that upper limit problem, but, hey, we got to protect these guys. So the Zudas go out, led by Mr. Jean-Luc Duval, and uh, I think uh, Cadillac goes out in one of them, and they take out the balls pretty quickly. Yeah. But then is it a, is it a Salamis or a Magellan that shows up, and they launch six GMs, Isaac. It's a bigger task. That's a taller order.
1: Can I just say that these space type GMs look pretty damn great?
0: They do. Yeah. Yeah. The space GMs I've always thought look pretty good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think there's a good contrast, right, between the Zuda. And the GM,
1: oh yeah, color palette wise, and the silhouette and all that, yeah. Plus, I mean, these GMs had an awesome intro. He did, you know. If they're introduced like this in the series, it'd be awesome too. Yeah. But you know,
0: uh, so Mr. Duval takes out two GMs pretty effortlessly uh, with his Zuda. So already you're thinking, okay, these these GMs are kind of like whatever. The Zuda's performing well, Isaac. I gotta say, I, I like the performance of the Zuda in the show. It, it seems like in the hands of a capable pilot, who maybe doesn't. Want to test the upper limit that this thing could have done well in a If if the, I mean, you know, they were fighting GMs all day
1: in a Baoku and, yeah. and
0: he's he's doing fine against them. So it seems great to be honest with you.
1: You could almost say it's having a hot streak. Oh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> zing! It's about to get hotter. <laughs> oh. So then, what, what's Duvall's logic here? He starts flying away, so he's he's trying to draw the GMs away, I suppose.
1: I assume his logic was. If they leave and the GMs leave, actually, I don't know. I have no idea what his logic was. They they essentially matched them by this point, uh, mobile suit to mobile suit, right?
0: Well, There's three three zutas against four uh, four GMs left because Duval. It was six GMs against three zutas. Duval killed two GMs, uh, so that leaves
1: three on four. I'm not sure what his logic was, but maybe he assumed correctly that as the ace, the GMs would follow him if he started booking it. Yeah that that would give uh, Cadillac the opportunity to just, you know, get behind the GMs and pick them off.
0: And it worked. Yeah. The GMs did follow him. So he's pushing it, Isaac. He's pushing it into the red. He knows it can't go into the red. It becomes clear, though, that, that the gyms have the same problem. And one of the gyms kind of his engine shorts out, and, and Cadillac is able to just take him out when he falls behind. And then, you know, we and we kind of hear uh, Duvall's,
1: he gives himself a eulogy. Yeah, yeah, he gives himself <laughs> his own eulogy,
0: and he basically he's he's out to prove that, that that Zuda is a real mobile suit, you know, contributing to the fight and not some phantom propaganda
1: fighter. I mean, he was right.
0: Yeah, so he he pushes it, pushes it, pushes it. The other three gyms, you know, they they burn up, but his, his Zuda also explodes uh, in in
1: a big fireball. But he saved the day. He saved countless young lives and the zuda was remembered as that that one experimental mobile suit that was pretty bad but in the hands of an ace it it kicked ass pretty good <laughs> yeah uh and this was the first
0: report where oliver said that he had no idea what to write so i thought that was interesting
1: <laughs> yeah i mean well all right the guy that died was brave but also almost killed him so it's okay to have mixed feelings right
0: <laughs> yeah duval clearly had some issues right i mean Probably shouldn't have been would, trying to kill me.
1: I assume he'd been humiliated for a year longer because he was clearly involved with the original Zuda and then that failed. So he had to pretty much watch his rivals pretty much his enemy, right? The the Zionic and the Zaku he, we use their mobile suits and have the glory of the war while his is relegated as a, a failed, you know, also ran. Right. And now he finally has a chance to, to redeem himself. So
0: yeah. he does it. You did it, Duval. Uh, I fell in love with the Zuda. I don't know what do you think of the Zuda, Isaac?
1: I think it's interesting looking. I I wouldn't spend a whole lot of money getting the model, but you know, I'd be happy to have it. Yeah, really interesting design, interesting face, sort of a uh, the Boba Fett Zaku. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it was a good design. I liked that it was st- it was different enough from the Zaku, but still very much Zeonic. What amazed me most about it is that you know, in a lot of series, we've seen people try to make the next Zaku, and this one seems better than all the attempts to make another Zaku, like the the Jin. Like I like the Zuda better than the Jin.
1: Yeah, just looking at it, it looks faster than the Zaku. Like almost like um, Xeonic's approach was okay. We're gonna go for speed. This will be a mobile suit space fighter, as opposed to maybe Xeonic said you know what, we need something well-rounded that can do a lot of things, so that's what we'll put in the Zaku. Right. Similar to
0: the Hadolfer, I would be more than happy to see this show up again, you know, in some in some side stories somewhere. Like, this is a suit that I think could very well pop up if you're following a, a, a mobile suit team somewhere and maybe they have one Zuda. you know, or just somehow they got a hold of one Zuda. I think that would be fun to have on the team. Similar to in 0083, that one guy had a zammel Like, that was super cool. Yeah. You know, I don't think you need a fleet of zudas, but it would be neat if every now and then one popped up, you know.
1: I've actually read that the Zommel is the heir of the, the Hildorf. Oh, really? Yeah. If if you look at them, you know, it's a very similar head, right? Sort of a forward, oh. long-necked uh, head with a mono-eye, and also the reliance on having one cannon on one shoulder, yeah. the, the, sort of the arms being similar, too. That makes sense. The Zuda, to an extent, was a dead end, right? We never see anything similar to it again.
0: Not really. I I, I did read that certain parts were per- perhaps used on the DOM or something like that, but...
1: <laughs> I, I'm not buying that yeah. at all. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say um, Duvall, he fudged those numbers too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we really can't trust anything that guy says, I suppose. No. Also, like... <sighs> do you remember what um may's superior officer at the engineering corps told him did he did he actually say yeah it is a new suit or did he say well you kind of have to look between the lines
0: no i think he was the one telling may hey you know they these old ones they blew up are you sure and may was like yeah i think it's good and then of course right (laughs) after that then they had the test the test pilot die so
1: like okay (laughs) good luck out there kid yeah (laughs) (laughs) we'll call him general monocle he's engineer monocle <laughs> yeah bureaucrat mcmonocle because he never leaves that desk <laughs> yes so th-
0: there are two zutas left at this point and they are assigned to the jotunheim and they zeon basically just tells them hey you can you can use your Zudas for self-defense going forward
1: <laughs> those mobile suits that explode you can yeah. those are your team now go ahead and keep them good luck guys <laughs> just
0: don't push them too hard but could we have a zaku nah just keep the Zudas. <laughs>
1: yeah how about zaku ones nope
0: nope zudas (laughs) are good but again you know the zuda looked better than a zaku just don't push it into the red
1: yeah i that seemed to be its only flaw right don't hit the red line right
0: (laughs) so if if that's your only restriction i I think it's okay
1: there must be a software thing we could do right (laughs) where we put like a limit yeah Yeah, just you know matter how far you put down the pedal it's not going past this number. Right. Just just hold <laughs> on. So,
0: so I do I do think that does uh come back in the, in the second part of the trilogy. So I look forward to seeing the Zuda ooh, again.
1: I can't wait. This was such a good three-part opening um series, you know, opening to the series. I just had so much fun. So many interesting moments that I didn't see coming. I always wanted uh, well yeah, like a lot of fans, content from the side of Xeon is awesome, right? Because it's so rare. Right. But this really stuck the landing. It was interesting. The combat was great. Sure, the the animation's a little bit dated, but that doesn't matter after a while. It's such a well done story.
0: Yeah, you know, after you watch it for five minutes or so, your eyes kind of adjust, and that's just that's just how this thing that you're watching looks. So yeah, we've said this a lot on this. Um, Podcast, but I I wouldn't let a dated animation stop you from consuming you know anything in in particular this you know this show that we're talking about right now. But I really liked it. On my Ten Haro scale, I think I'd actually give it a solid nine out of ten. It has tight, concise stories, great fights, memorable characters, and adds to the lore in interesting ways. Uh, The worst things I can say about it are maybe it's too short form and the animation is dated and you know sometimes a bit
1: wonky man i'm on my five haro scale brian and i will give this five out of five Damn, Haros. well well it's i i can't think of that many flaws it has
0: yeah i mean i'm taking away one because the animation's not great and it's pretty short form you don't get a whole lot behind the characters True. but yeah i loved it i thought it was great
1: I had to max it out because if I saw this when it came out at the time, I would think this animation is incredible.
0: That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's a weird thing, right? You know, how how that could change right, yeah. your change your opinion.
1: You know what, with how AI works nowadays, I'm I would not be surprised if this got some kind of update or reskin and you know, it, it just comes out looking incredible.
0: Oh, like automatically? Like they run it through a program yeah, or something? I know. Yeah, I they,
1: they do something to it or, you know, crisp it up. Crisp it up a bit. Yeah, just put it in the oven a little bit more. Yeah, but if you're on the fence about watching this uh, MS Igloo Hidden One Year War, I cannot recommend it enough. And happily, it is available on uh, with a quick YouTube search, I think. Oh, is it really? Hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think the only official way to watch it would be to buy the. I and mean, there is a Blu-ray, and it's it's pretty reasonable. You buy one Blu-ray, you get um you get the entire uh, trilogy of trilogies. You get all nine episodes. It's a decent deal, I think. Uh-huh. You don't have to yeah, buy like maybe. you know, volume one, two, three, or anything. But yeah, I'm sure. You know, it, it's a it's a series that's sort of forgotten. So I'm pretty sure that Sunrise probably isn't monitoring YouTube too much for this one. So I'm sure you could find it <laughs> pretty quickly.
1: Also, I mean, I assume that there's not a ton of uh of of kits that you can get. There's not a ton of gunpla coming out of Igloo. You know Probably so not.
0: I don't think there's a master grade Zudo.
1: You're not gonna build a Jormagund. That would be cool <laughs> so, though.
0: I mean Isaac will yeah. for his Gilgoog G- J- oh. uh J- Jormangoog.
1: Jormagoog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So many good moments, so many awesome little set pieces they built. And uh, it's good to see how they personify the Federation as evil, right? Attacking unarmed mm-hmm. people, yeah. hijacking Zakus, and yeah. Man, Zeon never thought of that. They never took gyms. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, they had their own Zakus, and so maybe they didn't have to, but... Yeah,
1: but by, th- by that point, they got plenty of problems. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, that's true.
0: They could have used some some gyms. Um, yeah. So yeah, overall, highly recommended. If you're a fan of The One Year War, go watch this. It's a good show, especially if you love, you know, deep Gundam lore. You'll, you'll find a lot to love here, so highly recommended.
1: I can't wait to continue the story, Brian, and watch the next part of uh, Igloo.
0: Yeah, so over the next few weeks, I'm sure we'll we'll spice in the the other the other two parts.
1: Mm-mm. It's gonna be awesome, everybody.
0: <laughs> so we're gonna fl- I'm just gonna fly through it faster than Duval's Zuda flew through that <laughs> the atmosphere
1: and blew up. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna redline it all the way. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna move like the Hildorf on one wheel or sorry one tread. <laughs> do the little pop a wheelie.
0: <laughs> yeah. Even, Duval even had me. He's like, uh, and by the end of it, I was like, man, the Zuda's are the hero. <laughs> <laughs> You're
1: like, yeah, we're going to stop these federations. <laughs> we just need more Zudas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People who listen to orders. I mean, could a lot of it have been avoided though? If the head of the, uh, the engineering uh, core was, was more honest with may, or at least gave him more clear direction. Like, you know what? You're going to go out there and he's going to say it's okay, but it's really not. Okay like be ready for it to explode he, he should have told him yeah,
0: yeah yeah or it could be solved with a software patch
1: yeah that too you know they just put like a block of wood yeah on, on like underneath the pedal a <laughs> certain yeah, part so that way the pedal never goes past <laughs> <laughs> yeah isaac engineering Corps. we just we just solved solved it <laughs> we just solved how to fix the zuda <laughs> saved you six months of testing we
0: just got this <laughs> piece of wood we're good good to go that's what I do.
1: I I'm looking out my window right now and I see the deg- the great dagwin going by flashing its little light and saying, "We couldn't have done it without you, Isaac. <laughs> We're all counting on you." With the block of wood production. <laughs> I love it. All right, everybody. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and remember before you go to sleep, stand next to your bed, get on your knees, put your hands together, look up at the ceiling and hail Zeon,
0: Brady dagwin. Good night everybody.